This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 146, Craig Siegel on Mental Toughness. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Game on. It's Jason Lynette here with a content-packed session featuring Craig Siegel. Craig is an expert on working with athletes, and you're going to hear some amazing takeaways in this conversation as we actually talk through his protocols, his systems, his actual training process, as well as um, probably in some way how he was the one who walked away with the trophy at the first ever Hypno Bowl at HypnoThoughts Live 2017. Seriously, this guy demolished everybody in a bowling tournament, because that's what you do at a hypnosis conference. You're going to hear inside of this uh, conversation two different schools of thought in some way that actually tend to correlate rather easily. His metaphors that he'd often use in working with professional athletes, and we even go into the specifics of some of the categories that may often come into your office. I'd share with you, if you are not yet working with athletes... It is perhaps one of the most rewarding as well as one of the most exciting things to work with. It's a category where you actually get a wonderful dose of instant gratification because they're going off to their practice, to their game, and you're getting that feedback. And yes, on some note, on the business side of things, the athlete is also someone who is continuously improving their game. And for that reason, it's actually a good logical, if not ethical reason to continue working with them as needed. I share you're going to hear us talk in this conversation about working with gymnasts. Uh, I bring up the theme of working with uh, power lifters and very often getting into the work, but then here comes the competition, here comes the meet, and it may be a good reason to recharge and refocus the process. Yes, we ought to be teaching skills and strategies, Yet the same way that they would work with the coach is the same way they could work with the hypnotist as well. So check out Craig's training. You can head over to mentaltoughnesstrainer.com to learn more about Craig as well as his work. I'd also encourage you to head over to hypnoticworkers.com. This is the entire digital access pass to my hypnotherapy training library. Inside of it, it's got inductions, deepening strategies, techniques for change you won't find anywhere else real client sessions, and there's even a module specific to working with athletes. Check that out. It's more than 90 hours of content and a growing library, hypnoticworkers.com, and you can get full access for just $47, hypnoticworkers.com. And with that, let's jump directly into this outstanding conversation. Here we go with session number 146, Craig Siegel on Mental Toughness. Yeah, I was, I, I had quit the corporate world. I was a Fortune 500 manager and I hated it and I wanted out bad and the company offered a severance package to anyone who wanted to leave. They were downsizing and I mm. raised my hand to the ceiling and I took that <laughs> money and I hired somebody to teach me internet marketing. I wanted to learn how to do internet marketing. And to cut to the chase, working together, I created my first program, which is called Break 80 Without Practice, which is uh, something I sell even to this day. And it's basically using the mind to play better golf, right? And it was partly about my own story, about how I broke 80. For those who don't know anything about golf, 80 is like the holy grail for your average golfer that you want to score in the 70s somewhere, breaking 80. 
And I had struggled for 30 years to do it myself. And then I discovered the mental game. And this coach helped me create the program. And I sold it um, all over the world um, within my first year of doing this. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And people were emailing me back saying, Craig, oh, my goodness, you're my, you're my mental guru here for golf. I'm like, <laughs> really? I'm just uh, trying to make some money online here. But apparently I put some good stuff out there and it was so funny. I was like, well, I'm not a sports psychologist. What do I call myself? What? To? And I started going out, honest gosh, Jason, I was just looking for like, you know what? I know this will help me sell the program. I, let me see if I can get some letters after my name when, mm -hmm. I, when I sign emails. So I went on a little search, discovered, oh, maybe NLP. <gasps> Hypnosis, that looks official. CHT, people put that, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> Not, no kidding. This yeah. No, I am dead serious. And so I was in eastern Washington, middle of nowhere, doing a little uh, search for hypnosis uh, and found um, uh, a program that was being offered in the big city, Seattle. And so I said, all right, I'm in. I'll do it. I'm going to go get my three letters after my name. And it was uh, just a, your basic three-day intro course, and I was hooked. Yeah, what I what I love about that is just the simple honesty of I, I'd share a similar through line that I I was the stage <laughs> hypnotist, but the thought yeah. was, well, if I had some letters after the name, I could probably charge more for my show. And yeah, you know, being the uh, sort of smart aleck stage hypnotist in one of my early trainings, going, yeah, I'm not really here for this uh, therapy stuff, and yet now clearly it's taken us both in different directions. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this, though, to, to yeah. look backwards at that. I'd share what's motivating this question would be that so often, you know, I'm someone who trains hypnosis nowadays, and here's whether it's the nurse, whether it's the school teacher, whether it's, um, you know, any sort of, let's say, one-to-one -one service related industry, um, they'd often go through that experience, whether it's hypnosis or NLP, and they'd comment back to go, yeah, I figured out that I was already doing a lot of this stuff, yet <laughs> now I was doing it intentionally, and now I had better methods to do it. To even right. go back to that original program you put out there, yeah. you know, what, what was some of the content? What was some of the themes that were inside of there? You're absolutely right. I was doing a lot of that without knowing it. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the program was part honest. Gosh, um, I went down my my business coach at the time who was helping said, go down to the library. Actually, we back up. He says, Greg, you know what makes an expert? Mind you, I have no expertise in golf. I'm just a guy who likes golf at the time. Mm -hmm. and he says, you know, what makes an expert in anything. I go, what? Somebody who reads five books on a subject. You're an expert. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> OK, I can do that. So I went down to the library in this in this small town that I lived in and I got, oh, a dozen, old, and they're old books. I'm not kidding you. They were like from the 70s and 60s. And I just thumbed through them and looked for anything that um, could be utilized by a golfer that did not require practice. And I just kind of jived it with my own experiences because I had broken 80 through discovering the mental game kind of on accident. Uh, that's a whole nother story. But things like, back to your question, um, definitely visualization, but I took it to another level than what was usually taught by golf instructors. Visualize your swing and visualize the beautiful backswing and the ball <laughs> and all the stuff. You know, Jack Nicholas, uh, it has to be a movie that you replay forwards and backwards in minute. People can't do that. Right, right. 
Uh, and so I said, this, my uh, coming from the corporate world, I, or it I, might be the strategy for a few people. Yeah, not a strategy for for the I'd say for the full population. You know, it's where exactly I'd even point to here's a client of mine that was in the office so frustrated that his best friend changed his life because of the book Think and Grow Rich, and here he was struggling with that Napoleon Hill book, and it came down to, but I just can't harness that burning desire, and the answer had to be, well, maybe burning desire is not your specific strategy. Maybe it's something else. Right. Let's let's right. see what yours is. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I was doing things like just some basic anchoring without knowing what it was. I was uh, lots of reframing without knowing what it was. Mm -hmm. And um, I did read this book uh, in my own my uh, before all this happened. It's called The Power of the Subconscious Mind by uh, Murphy, Joseph Murphy. And so that was kind of running through my head as I was creating the program all before hypnosis. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting when I started taking uh, official training to go, oh, that's what that's called. <laughs> wow, there's a name for that, too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I totally relate to that. Yeah. So then going through that uh, training, what was the next step for you from there? Well, I was completely hooked. It was a simple introductory to what is that? The, the guy uh, starts with a K. He's a long time. I don't think he's alive anymore. Um, the folks in, in Hawaii, it was, it was hypnosis.com at the time. Oh, the K method, you know, just your basic benefit-laden um, direct suggestion mm -hmm. thing. And I came out of that. The stories that my instructor told, that just hooked me. I said, this, this, don't, 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 what's next? Mm -hmm. And I signed up for their NLP practitioner from there. Yeah, outstanding. So then were there more programs that then started to launch as a result of that? Um, or did it take a different uh, take a different yeah. direction for you? Yeah, no, I, I I went through practitioner training, and I that just whetted my appetite. I went all the way through trainers training with the same company, um, Matt James, and and mm -hmm. I like him. I still like him to this day. It was a, it was a good experience for me, and uh, all the while I'm basically turning my attention to marketing my golf program, and I created another golf program, um, but. <laughs> funny uh while here i'm trying to gain credibility and knowledge for myself to fit into this mental guru label that people are calling me and apparently i they like my emails and my you know my my stories and whatnot and i was learning good marketing for that which is by the way 50 percent hypnosis mm -hmm. what is taught in marketing these days as you know and uh at some point um i i, I just got this gut this gut feeling that, and my gut communicates to me, I don't know, if I, sometimes I say it's God talking to me, that, Greg, you got to do this for people. You got to do this work now. And I'm like, what? And so I literally, while I'm trying to launch my programs, oh, I forgot, the other program I created while trying to create my own credibility was with a, um, a sports psychologist. <laughs> I got a guy to read a book by a sports psychologist who I got permission from him to give him some exposure and maybe some small royalties. So I wasn't even believing my own credibility. I created another mental game and it, to, I look back on it and my stuff's a hundred times better. And by the way, my stuff sold a hundred times better too. People aren't really interested in quote sports psychology unquote. They're interested in solutions to their problem and their problem that I was presenting and the, the solution for it was, hey, I can't get better and I don't have time to practice. Well, there's Craig, and so that's why that sold. 
And yeah, anyway, there I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's a small town, and I said, I got to try this. I got to do this. I just couldn't. I couldn't resist it. And my business coach. I went to my second business coach at the time, and I spent. I was in a year-long program with them to learn copywriting and conversion for mm -hmm. websites, and it was very expensive. And he was amazing. Um, uh, but while I'm doing that, literally, I'm walking the streets of this small town, handing out flyers I posted for my budding new hypnosis NLP practice. Jason, I literally walked around the mall there yeah. with this flashy little electronic flashing thing thing, thing that says hypnosis works and <laughs> passing out um, uh, surveys to people which lead them to you know, a free consult with me later. Oh, I, I did all kinds of crazy stuff. I love that. There's a, there's a theme that's popped up here from several people that you know, the quote back to Michael DeShallot would be that, uh, you know, if you're in your office in these early stages, you're not working. That's that right. It's about getting that message out there. And so good to hear that, especially, I mean, people look to some of the stuff that I'd share around Facebook marketing and online funnels and all that. But in terms of getting it up and running just to be seen, just to be visible, to get that message out there. Yep. What, what would I you say? I walked a business street, went into every single office uh, and and retail, and just introduced myself, saying I'm opening a practice, and here's a flyer, and yeah, <laughs> a lot of legwork. <laughs> what Didn't would you say? So well, but I, but yeah, you know what, Jason, I want to put since you're on that, and for anybody who's listening. I didn't get a whole lot of clients from all this legwork I did, mm -hmm. but I totally believe to this day that all this legwork, all this activity. I think it like sends out a signal to the universe somehow. Uh, we could probably devolve into a quantum physics talk, but <laughs> I, I literally believe because I did all that work, it, it, it was like God, the universe said, okay, Craig's serious. Let, let's steer him into some more effective means. And boom, that, and then things started taking off. Well, there's also something to be said, though, that it's that legwork that often trains what the next phase is going to be, that you're refining what that elevator pitch is, you're refining exactly yeah. what that message is. So by the, time it, by, by the time it actually leads into something else, you know, it's the old adage of the stand-up comedian who starts with the open mic and they're getting up and some nights it goes well, some nights right. it doesn't. And they need to have that place where they can get up and be bad at it sometimes before they can get up and actually rock it out and get the HBO special and it goes to all these other different platforms. It's got to start somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, you start learning, hey, oh, that didn't go over so well, like the comedian. Oh, wow, no claps on that. Back <laughs> though. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I and even if I didn't, you know, get uh, direct clients from a a particular legwork activity, at least I was able to see people's reactions to things that I would say just like your comedian example, I went, oh, maybe that goes over well. And you're right. Mm -hmm. and I started refining my messages, whether it was on the phone or in person or everywhere. Yeah, got it, got it. So then getting out there, doing that legwork, what was it about the golf uh, originally? Was it your own backstory in terms of what you achieved yes. that motivated that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, this I, I was an athlete my whole life, an undersized athlete, by the way. So mm -hmm. there was an undercurrent my entire life of having to uh, – uh, use my mind to overcome my lack of size and stature. And, and, and um, so this whole golf thing, that's not really an issue. Size isn't an issue in golf. And I could not break the score of 80 for 20, 25 years. And it drove me insane. 
I mean, I literally took lessons. I, I read the books. I, re I got the magazines. I did the drills. And then I had this meltdown round. After all that, I, I shot like 112, lost a dozen balls. I took my clubs and threw them in the corner of the garage. It was like the end of the season, fall. I, I'm screw it. I'm done with this golf thing. And then, and then over that winter, um, I ran into a couple books. One of them was called Super Learning, and the other one is Psycho Cybernetics. Yes. And I was just reading them from curiosity more than anything, and those got me really ignited toward the whole mental game. And true story, um, I did not do any practicing. Um, the next spring, um, after maybe one or two rounds in my, I didn't, you know, I came back, I picked the clubs back up and we went out to a, a weekend vacation in central Oregon and I shot a 77 out of nowhere. <laughs> 25 years. I, I mean, I literally was using my mind to play golf and, and kind of implementing the things I read in these books and, and started the, you know, the mental game search and it was crazy. It's like, what is going on? I shot a 77 on a full-size course. And I'm like, there's some, ma there, some something's magic. <laughs> and I, you couldn't stop me from then. Yeah, yeah. So without necessarily having to get into the entire detail of the programs that you do, mm -hmm. what would you say was the biggest difference from that throwing the clubs to that moment of being there and scoring so high? Or at least going so low yeah. properly, yeah. <laughs> okay, if I could boil it down into one most important concept, it is letting go of the need to control. Mm -hmm. That's it. And I got a little story to illustrate that. Um, you know, I'd been teaching uh, this stuff for like, I don't know, five years or so, and, and massed an email list of about 30,000 golfers at one point, and my, my kid who at the time, was, this is maybe five, six years ago, was trying for his own um, golf greatness. I brainwashed him since he was three to be a golfer. And uh, he loved it, and he was in high school. And I remember he was going into his senior year, and it was the beginning of his senior year. He was finally getting serious. He was practicing. He joined a country club as a caddy, all this stuff, or clean-up boy. Anyway, he calls me up one day. I, I had just finished a client. And he goes, Dad, 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 what's up, son? He goes, I finally get it, what you've been trying to tell me all these years. What's that, son? <laughs> and he goes, you know, Dad, I, today I played around and all I did was I just looked at the spot that I wanted the, the ball to go and I said, forget about my swing and forget, and, and the ball just went there. <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed, that was so much fun for me. And then he ended up tearing it up that year. Um, he went to the state tournament and uh, got a, a golf scholarship and played for a few years. So, yeah, we still laugh about that. Yeah, got it, got but it. It's the, it's the let go of control thing, to answer your question again. Right, right. So to let go of that control, what is it that the mind should be focused on then? One to way, massively oversimplify everything, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> one way I teach that this in a simplified uh, manner is if I could, if we had a, a, a board, it would, uh, and it, I usually do this visually, but imagine I, I put a dot at the bottom of a board and a dot at the top of the board, mm -hmm. right? And what 
athletes want to do is go from dot A to dot, dot B, whichever direction doesn't matter. And right, the, like most things in life, we want a straight line, meaning the most effective, most efficient way to achieve what we want, the, the goal. The goal is the other dot, right? And so I draw a line. I say, well, in sport, it's quite different. And I draw a dot in the middle, but to the side. Mm -hmm. So if you were to connect all three dots, it would be uh, a, a triangle on its side. And I say, this dot over here, this dot represents uh, what sports psychology calls the flow. So you're, you need to stop trying to get your goal. Your new goal is to play in the flow, which my definition of that uh, emanates from my foundational principle, performance equals potential minus interference. When you eliminate the interference, you performed your potential, that's flow. So it seems like that is a longer route. And, and I'll use the analogy, a hypnotic analogy when I'm teaching this about how um, I went on a trip once uh, from Seattle here to Portland. There's a, there's a direct way. Um, I'm sorry. They, no, there's a place in the mountains we went to. There's a direct way to go to the mountain, this place in the mountains. and But it goes through. It goes through um, dirt roads and you go like 10 miles an hour and you destroy your car. And, and, and I took it one way. It's like maybe 200 miles to go this way. But if you go the freeway way, which is way far around, you get there in half the time, even though it's a, like 50 miles more. And so that's the same kind of thing that we need to do when we want to achieve anything in sports. It's don't work towards achieving your goal. And that's what's brainwashed, especially into kids. Now, yes, that's good advice. Everybody's got to work to achieve a goal, right? But the problem is it creates interference. They're being able to perform to their potential. Namely, we're talking about performance anxiety and all kinds of other things that come up. So your goal is not work hard to achieve a goal because everybody's doing that in the sports world. Everybody's doing that. And if you're not, I mean, you don't even have a chance. But once you're equal to everybody else, work hard to achieve your goal, then you need to go, my new goal now is achieve this flow state, which is basically just performing to your potential without interference. The mental blocks that those of us in the hypno-NLP world, that we do every day with our clients. Well, there's something even to be added to that, that, you know, being in that flow, which may be my paraphrase of that, I think might be that, to actually be in the experience that, you know, here's this athlete that, yes, they may have a certain goal towards the end, building up a certain speed in a, in a pitch in yep. baseball, building yep. up to I, I'm suddenly working with several power lifters, working up to a certain level of strength. Yep. And yep. unless they're actually finding satisfaction and enjoyment on the journey towards that goal, that goal actually now gets further and further away. Absolutely. Some of them aren't even um, aware of the fact that that is part of the journey that enjoying they've lost that since they first started they're on this automaton path to get their program by their coaches and instructors and they lose that and that's one of the things we have to bring back absolutely do you find that avoiding or somehow modifying the expectation of perfection comes into this Oh, absolutely. That's just one of the interference patterns, right? Mm -hmm. What, why, where do they get the perfection idea? Well, that's the ultimate, I need to control things. 
right? It's well, if it's the it comes from the conclusion if I can control everything and and achieve perfection, then I won't have failure and all the bad things that come from failure. And the only way to do that is to control everything, which is a total fallacy. <laughs> it's funny. One of the first things I do is say, so, all right, let's talk about things you feel like in your life that you think you can control. And no matter what they bring up, I, I destroy it. Yeah. Like well, one of the, the, you know, the most obvious ones is, well, I feel like I'm in control when I drive my car. Really? So all these people who get into accidents all over the the world number one uh, cause of death in our in our country i think something up there anyway oh it's all because these people got out of control huh oh <laughs> huh well uh, no uh, you know it's funny so that's one of the things i do is is break apart you got to start somewhere right break apart their initial beliefs that are their interference patterns and then you can start installing some some useful stuff yeah, but I just I cannot believe what, when I got in the sports world how ingrained these beliefs are. Oh my goodness, it is the brainwashing is unreal, Jason. <laughs> so, do you find there's any specific um, nuances that need to be known if you're working, let's say, with the individual versus working with a team? Yes, uh, excellent question. So, you need to understand that when you're working with a team. Uh, well, let me back up one second. My entire um, uh, my entire business is built on the on the the fact that I only help people who are who are what I call on island A with an acute problem, and they want to get to island B where they don't have their problem. Mm-hmm. And every single team has got twenty percent or so. That's a wild guess, but let's just say twenty percent of their players have an acute problem. They are not performing to their potential. They know it. Coaches know it. Parents know it. Those are my clients. Now, when you go to a team, so let's say there's 15 people there, you're doing a workshop or, or a talk for a team, so there's only three or four of them that really are having any kind of problems. So how do you get the other nine or 10 of them to even pay attention to you? And to throw in, yeah, and to throw in one little other nuance to that, because I've had the same dialogue at one point when I was going into a business and talking to their sales staff, that yeah. they pointed out that only about 20% really is going to need the actual effort. Um, right. But even on top of that, their top 20% was producing more than the old 80-20 adage. About 20% of, of the staff there was actually producing about 80% of the sales. Yep, so that's typical. That's what, what they were bringing up was that, okay, if you can get these top performers to do slightly better, that's great. But if you can bring these sort of moderate performers, they wouldn't use the, the term low performers because they were still were producing sales. But if you can get them to maybe, you know, bump their numbers up slightly, this will more than pay for itself. But I love absolutely. that bringing that into the concept of uh, sports too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you're, th- that's how you sell to coaches. What if you're bottom 20%? moved up to at least the middle right because mm-hmm. yeah they that's a that's an old adage in sports you're only as good as your you know your worst players on the on the field the, the weakest link you hear that all the time in the sports world um, but I also wanted to make my talks and my workshops useful and beneficial even for the top people and that's quite a trick uh, and the way you do that is you help them understand the problems that they are having that they're not even aware of and you just start off with, 
So here, like if I was doing a workshop, I said, so who here, let's say I got 15 teen girls in front of me, and say, who here always plays as good as their best game in competition? <laughs> who always play, Who always brings their best game to competition? Always. You know, no, nobody's hand goes up, right? Now I can continue the selling process of, you know, this is why you need to listen to me. Because I'm, what if you could, you know? So one thing I tell all my students uh, who, are, who work with athletes is you've got to, in the sports world, you've got to sell people on the mental game. You have mm -hmm. to do a continuous sell job and you have to connect back what you're teaching back to their self-interest in their ultimate performance. You can't just say, you know, this will be good for you. It's going to help you. And their guys are glazing over and they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And maybe they're really nice kids and they'll, repeat like parrots back to you and you go, oh, thank you, Eric. it's all good, everybody goes out and nothing happens, mm -hmm. right? No, you've got to sell. Can you understand, based on what I said, how what I just taught you is going to improve your performance? Maybe I get a bunch of head nods, sure, yeah. Okay, you, you tell me how it is. So this is what I, when I, when I teach and I tell all my students, check for integration. Mm -hmm. Check to see if people understand what you're doing. See if they can spit it back to you. Uh, in a way that tells you that they understand it more than just, you know, parroting back your words. So I'm curious to ask, how physical does the work actually get in terms of working with that mental aspect? How much of it gets into that hands-on aspect of it versus, let's say, the traditional expectation of a hypnosis session of they're sitting in a comfortable chair with their eyes yeah. closed? Yeah. I keep talking. Tell me more about your, I'm not sure about what you're Yeah, you're I'm curious because it's where over the years I can give you a reference. I'll put it in a different category for a moment. Yeah. I'm working with a concert violinist at one point who yeah. on his own was reading several books on NLP, getting a little frustrated that he could not do it himself. And that's where he did some research and picked up the phone and found himself in my office. And it's like our, the end of the story is more entertaining than the intro actually. But it's where he uh, he's there at his second or third appointment and he goes, so two things, there's an instrument in my car, which is worth several hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is it okay if I bring it inside? I'm like, yeah, of course, oh. go ahead. Oh, yeah. by the way, I read about anchoring. Could you anchor my confidence to the moment where I'm getting the violin in position? It's like, yes, let's do that. And that suddenly became a big part of our process, which he then played something in the office and we're getting in that position as soon as the physical moment of, and for him, it's that little moment that I still nerd out over of uh, the violinist then suddenly balanced and squeezed between their chin and their upper shoulder. And it looks yeah. like they're just letting it float. It's like, no, that's a $400,000 instrument. Don't drop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he briefly plays it, which of course leads to the two of us walking out the end of his appointment and the next client is waiting in the lobby. And all I can think to say is, and what, how are you going to entertain me? Um, <laughs> so actually uh -huh. taking the physicality of applying yeah. these hypnotic principles, these, you know, these, these concepts to the actual physical nature of what they're going to be doing. I see. Yeah. So occasionally over the years, I would have an athlete bring in a piece of their equipment mm -hmm. for anchoring purposes and, and yeah, um, but for the most part, in the last uh, five years or so, um, I don't do a whole lot of any kind of physical stuff anymore. One thing um, I discovered, I, I, I might be a little out there compared to most hypnotherapists and LPs in that I have a much more fluid, flexible definition of hypnosis, mm -hmm. where 
it's kind of like I don't know some people call it you know conversational hypnosis and and I do a lot of not so official type interventions yes and I'm more of a like I developed this process and, and it's a sequence I take uh, athletes through and it's based on my philosophy race relentless awareness clear and emotional mastery and um, relentless is not like uh, most people talk about in sports. It's you'll appreciate this as as everybody. It's belief in your ability to change a nervous system reaction. Um, a is awareness, and that supports the relentless. So I do a lot of helping my clients understand how they operate, and not just right in a, a pre-talk in the beginning. I keep it going all throughout. I'm constantly referring back to, all right, so is this your conscious? Is that your unconscious that's bringing up? Where did that come from? They are learning literally how to be their own best mental coach. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't let my clients just be passive. Craig's going to zap them. <laughs> it is far more. And that's why these days, and, and since I started really specializing in sports, call myself a trainer. And the other part of that is, in some um, places, uh, and on my Mental Toughness uh, Trainer website, I don't use the word hypnosis anywhere, because it is still in lots of places all over the world. You use the word hypnosis, you're going to get kicked out in the sports world. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit more fluid and don't do such um, like I used to as much, and I just kind of... Uh, I assume a lot of hypnosis. I teach them, well, here's how we're going to get it into your unconscious. Just like I told you, you know how to do that? Yeah. You remember how we did that? Yeah. You did it before, right? Yeah. Cool. You're going to do it again? Yeah. What's going to make it happen for you again? Oh, because I did it last time and I just thought this way. Cool. Use that again. That's going to work. Right on. Good. I'll just send you a guided visualization when I'm done. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. Bye. Nice. You know, so I'm an efficiency fanatic and I was always, what is the essence Let's boil down the essence of, of things. What, what, and, and what's the essence of change? And I came up with a four-step um, mechanism, I believe, that fits into my race philosophy. And step one is identify the interference, right? We do this. We can do it in hypnoanalysis. We can do, but I've been, over time, in sports, there's a handful of these um, interfering belief patterns that come up over and over and over. When you see the telltale signs, you got it. Two is antidote, come up with the right antidote for that belief program. Three is delivered to the unconscious, that's the hypnosis part, which I explained earlier, is kind of flexible and fluid. Um, and four is condition it. So these are concepts uh, other than step three, get to the unconscious that they're already kind of familiar with. And I just learned, they taught me how to work within these athletes how to work within their world and what they're used to. And that's what I found to be really efficient. Yeah. Is there one specific sport that you find yourself working with more than anything else? Um, you know what? What comes to mind, you might, a couple come to mind. Well, you know what? I would say number one is probably basketball mm -hmm. and surprisingly um, gymnastics and cheerleading. I'd say nearly 80% um, of the athletes that I see in this area are gymnastics and cheerleading in the classic yep. uh, fear yeah. of flipping. They used to be able to flip backwards, then suddenly something happens, and now they're in my yep. office because they can't flip backwards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I joke all the time. If I wanted to work with 8- to 18-year-old girls for the rest of my life, I could make a, a good living on that alone. There's <laughs> so many of them. Every gym has got girls blocking on their back tumbling. Every gym. 
on yeah. planet right now. And these girls go home crying, be, and it destroys the family life, and mom and dad will pay anything to get them out of it. So let's uh, let's set the audience aside for a moment, and let's just talk my benefit. What are some of the strategies that you found to be uh, some of the most effective, or what are some of the blocks that you know need to be aware of in terms of that specific category? Sure. Uh, you mean gymnastics? And yeah. Cheerleading, the, the, back exactly. tumbling? Yes. So... Okay, I'll boil it down, boil it down, because yeah. I can talk for an hour on this. Mm-hmm. Um, boil it down. So I would say, okay, here we go, here we go. When uh, when one of them comes in, okay, how, how about this? How about this? I could go so many different directions. So I, over time and working with these girls, you know, in the beginning it was hit and miss. Try this technique, try this intervention, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it wouldn't, right? And my brain is always, even when things worked, uh, you know, I know lots of people when things work, they go, ah, I'm great. That's amazing. I would go, why did that work? Mm -hmm. Why did that work? What did I do right? You know, of course, everybody does it when, why didn't that work? We go analyze. Well, over time, and it just came from doing a ton of these, I found out, you know what it is, Jason, that really uh, causes these girls problems is I use the analogy, I call it the stress glass, and I draw it for them in session one. I said, here's the deal, uh, just to simplify this. I said, you're on, I explained to them they got a conscious and unconscious. If it's little kids, I call it the power mind and the thinking mind. And say, here's the deal, your unconscious mind's job is to run your body. It does not care about your happiness. It does not care about your gymnastics. It doesn't care about anything but keeping you alive first and foremost and, and operating on planet Earth. Now, one of its biggest enemies to doing that is stress, stress in all its forms. And then I draw a glass on the whiteboard. I, I like to do visuals for people. And I say, you know, I, this is what we're going to call the stress glass. And here's the deal. You know, we wake up in the morning and then I draw, you know, a level of liquid that's about half full on the stress glass. And so, you know, we wake up in the morning and then we have about this much stress and uh, we can handle it. You know, we're equipped to handle a lot of stress in our life. You know, even if I'm talking a nine-year-old, they got... You know, the stress of fitting in, the stress of doing what their parents want, the stress of getting to the next level in gymnastics, all this stuff, right, academics. I say, here's the deal. When the stress glass gets near the top, when it starts approaching the top, that's when your unconscious mind gets really angry. Mm-hmm. And it says, you know what? This, this person is, we, we cannot run the body with the stress hormones and chemicals being kicked around this body. And I can't run the immune system very well. I can't do all the things I'm supposed to do. And so, you know what? We got to lower the stress for her. And so I'm going to create this problem in the thing that's, that's least um, necessary in her life. And guess what that is? Yep. Gymnastics. And so they all come in thinking it's, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to fall and break my neck. And that's definitely a part of the stress glass. But it's once you help them understand that, then you spend the rest of your time lowering the stress glass. And you connect, and they go, oh, and they'll buy into it. And I, and I believe it's true. When I first, <laughs> when I first uh, um, identified this pattern, I went, gosh, well, let's try this. I just threw it out there, you know. And... Um, I didn't know what I was talking about. I was just surmising. I just guessed it. But every time I bring it up, and, and they have no other alternative but to believe it. So to, to this day, I don't know if it's total placebo or I'm totally right, but by gosh, it works. 
And as you do an intervention, you show them, hey, think that stress glass went down right there? Oh, yeah, well, that's what your unconscious mind is going to start releasing this. And the only the only thing we don't know is how long it's going to take. And sometimes the unconscious mind, well, you know, we talk about it like it's her partner, like her, her little friend there, right? And sometimes it doesn't know uh, if you're serious or not. If it thinks you're just doing this temporarily and the stress is going to come right back, it, it's not going to let go of this problem. What I'm loving about this is that uh, there's a through line that you, you talk stress glass for years. I've been talking about, okay, so here's a grandfather clock with a swinging pendulum. And, you know, if the clock is uh, tilted, if the floor isn't level, it's swinging too far in the stress direction. And if all we did today was just simply take some of these stress levels down, you know, so it's where, yes, we're here to address this sport, but also to take down the stress at home, to take this down in school, yep. to take it down everywhere else. And that's exactly. just going to level out that floor and you're just going to naturally find this thing working there better you for you same same yep. same idea yep. different um yep. different Definitely. metaphor yeah i love that which is great about that because it brings in the theme that you know there's people in this audience who i'm sure you know don't work with a lot of athletes though it's the classic strategy of especially if you're working with the teenager and the parents are bringing them in for this one specific thing and it probably is the uh, the test anxieties, the getting the homework done. And it's clearly something that mom and dad have a little bit more of a goal towards. And the kid's definitely interested. Yet to find that little bit of a through line to go, well, you know, how's everything else going? What else are you into? And often a sport will pop up. And this is yep. where I pull on the tongue-in-cheek moment of, well, you know, I have to mention that there's a bit of a side effect to what we'll do today. That is, you're finding better focus involving school you'll find that focus naturally kind of pops up in other places. So is it okay if you also find your basketball game improves while we're doing this? <laughs> yep. And at that point, I've got a fan for life and we're on board. Right. Which it's the same right. concept, but we're now we're using that again. I love what you mentioned about having to sell the process even as you're doing it. Yes, they're in the office, they're with you. This is especially if you're teaching a technique, that's a great strategy for getting compliance because now they actually understand it Yep, and they're actually going to do it too. A in my race formula, awareness, yep, it's constant. It's not just a one-time deal. That's what I think a lot of new practitioners uh, miss the boat on. Mm -hmm. You've got to continually sell, continually connect up uh, what you're doing to their eventual outcome. Otherwise, you'll lose them. Yeah, otherwise, they'll learn a strategy. They'll feel slightly better and just settle at that, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, like, Craig, how does us talking about um, you know, the sadness I experienced from my grandfather dying last year have anything to do with my my tumbling moves. Well, let's go into that. And if and if they have that question, I haven't done a very good job and I need to go back over and I need to get it where they can tell this girl can tell me how it connects up to her tumbling moves mm -hmm. and her uh, not having fully resolved that issue has, you know, kept the stress glass up high, for example. Got it. Got it. So how is it that you spend most of your time these days? Most of my time these days is either managing my online programs that I sell to the mass public for uh, the different demographics. I learned uh, uh, being the mental trainer that uh, you got you got coaches, you got parents, you got young athletes, you got older athletes, uh, adults, and you also got people that have come to me that are not interested in sports at all, but just want to learn some mental toughness for personal life. And so I've been creating all kinds of programs to tailor for each one of them using all my 
concepts. That's about 50% of what I do. The other 50% is I train people how to specialize and or add to their practice to, to work with athletes and performers. Yeah. So let, let's backtrack there for a moment because I want to talk about these programs in a moment too. Sure. That as you're working with people in this sort of peak performance category, uh, what other things are coming in in that in that respect? Would you say it's like the public speaking or what else? I've never been a public speaker. I, I can do mm-hmm. it. Um, it doesn't. It's fine. It's just not my thing. I, I usually have to get cajoled into it and pushed. I'm kind of an introvert. I like hanging out at home and being on the computer and in small groups. And uh, so speaking and, and that has not been my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm fascinated with um, uh, the psychology of conversion whether it's online or yeah. in person or whatever. So that's what gets me jazzed. Oh, I meant in terms of uh, clients coming in. Oh, I, don't, I only see people who are in my program for their own personal blocks about doing this kind of work with athletes mm-hmm. or, or an occasional past client um, uh, that comes in for a tune-up I've seen years ago. Like if somebody calls and says, I want you to work with my 15-year-old, I'm going to turn them over to one of my students and give them that client. Yeah. Outstanding, outstanding. I'm too expensive these days. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. So where can uh, where can people find out more about you online? They can go to mentaltoughnesstrainer.biz. Outstanding. And for the hypnotist who's uh, curious and working with more athletes, what would you recommend as a, as a next possible step? Uh, yeah, that's the site that will lead lead them, uh, give them all kinds of info along that mentaltoughnesstrainer.biz. My uh, my original site is .com, mentaltoughnesstrainer.com. That's where I get all this stuff for the athletes themselves. But I'm assuming uh, we got lots of NLP and hypnos who might be interested in uh, mentoring under me for learning how to work with athletes. So uh, that's where they should go. Awesome. And we'll put links to that over in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com. And Craig, it's been awesome having you on here. Thank you so much. You asked the best questions, my man. Um, the, the side note is I've often admitted on this program that uh, there happens to be an audience. These often are capturing conversations that I just want to have myself. So this has been a pleasure. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I love your questions. Jason Lynette here, and as always, thank you so much for subscribing to this program, sharing it with your fellow hypnotists, and I'd encourage you to head over to hypnoticworkers.com. You can join that growing online community for as little as $47 and get that all-access pass to my hypnotherapy training library, techniques for working with kids, techniques for working with athletes, as well as uh, real client sessions for weight loss, stop smoking, just a whole lot of content so you don't have to reinvent the wheel and see what's actually working now in terms of my actual client sessions. Check it out, hypnoticworkers.com. See you on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. 